0: Good morning, Grace Church and friends. As we enter Holy Week this year, it's sad and disappointing because we don't get to celebrate and sing to Jesus together. We don't get to feast at the Lord's table. We don't get to hug and hold one another. We don't get to have the children help lead us in the worship of King Jesus by waving their palm branches, singing Hosanna in the highest. There's a quote in the front of your bulletin by Ian Duguid that says, It's often in the land of affliction that the Lord makes us fruitful in ourselves and in the lives of others around us. We typically want God to make us into fine decorative china plates, which sit comfortably in a glass cabinet being admired by everyone. Instead, God makes us into serviceable water pitchers that get chipped and scratched and dented through repeated use. This is how our sufferings produce endurance, character, and hope in us. It's also how he makes us useful to others around us who have their own sufferings and difficulties to endure. In this moment of affliction, Jesus is at work in us, even now, and he can use these sufferings to make us more like him. He may be allowing us to be chipped and scratched and dented right now so that we might grow in endurance and character and hope in the risen and raising Jesus. This is the model that Jesus sets for us, that the way up is down, that life comes through death. It's through Jesus' sacrifice, through his being chipped and scratched and dented and killed, that he rescues us in our desperation and makes us his dearly loved children. We can have confidence this morning that God isn't going to waste this season. So please take a few moments to prepare to worship him now, wherever you find yourself. Quiet your heart to come before him now. Our call to worship this morning is from Zechariah 9.9. 9. Please join with me wherever you are. Rejoice greatly, daughter Zion. Shout, daughter Jerusalem. See, your king comes to you, righteous and victorious, lowly and riding on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a donkey. Now let's confess what it is we believe together using question one from the Heidelberg Catechism. Christian, what is your only comfort in life and death? That I am not my own, but belong, body and soul, in life and in death, to my faithful Savior Jesus Christ. He has fully paid for all my sins with his precious blood and has set me free from the tyranny of the devil He also watches over me in such a way that not a hair can fall from my head without the will of my Father in heaven. In fact, all things must work together for my salvation. Because I belong to him, Christ, by his Holy Spirit, assures me of eternal life and makes me wholeheartedly willing and ready from now on to live for him. Please join your hearts with me as we come before our God in our prayer of adoration. Please pray with me. Merciful God, as we enter Holy Week and, and gather with your people digitally to worship you, turn our hearts again to Jerusalem, to the life and death and resurrection of Jesus Christ, that united with Christ and all his faithful saints, we may one day enter and triumph the city not made by human hands, but the new Jerusalem, heaven brought to earth by Jesus' return, where with you in the Holy Spirit we will live in glory forever. We adore you this morning, that Jesus came, that he died and was raised, and is reigning now and is coming again. We pray these things in Christ's name. Amen. Our call to renewal this morning comes from Matthew 21, verses 1 through 9. Please hear the word of our Lord. Blessed is he who comes in the names of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. Hosanna means, Lord, save us. That's what we need this morning. That's why we come to confession now. We need to be saved. We cannot fix ourselves on our own. We can't be good enough to get God on our own. We need this one, the true king of Israel who rode into Jerusalem on a donkey, who triumphed over sin and death through giving himself over to death to rescue us and to save us from our hard hearts into a loving relationship with him. let's go before him now, confessing together using the prayer printed in your bulletin. Please pray with me. O Lord, who on this day entered the rebellious city that later rejected you, we confess that our wills are as rebellious as Jerusalem's that our faith is often more show than substance, that our hearts are in need of cleansing. Have mercy on us, Son of David, Savior of our lives. Help us to lay at your feet all that we have and all that we are, trusting you to forgive what is sinful, to heal what is broken, to welcome our praises, and to receive us as your own. Please take a few moments now to reflect and confess before your God who is faithful to forgive. You can hit pause on the recording and come back when you are done confessing. Our words of encouragement this morning come from Psalm 103, verses 8 to 10. The Lord is compassionate and gracious, slow to anger, abounding in love. He will not always accuse Nor will he harbor his anger forever. He does not treat us as our sins deserve or repay us according to our iniquities. Jesus demonstrates through dying and rising again for us that he is this one who loves us and brings forgiveness and mercy to us that we might be his. Now as we come to our prayers of the people, remember that Jesus came to seek and to save the lost and to make you who come to him in faith and repentance his dearly loved children. Because this is true, we can come to God in full honesty, holding back nothing, approaching him with great confidence because we know that he loves us, that he cares for us, that he's with us, and that he hears us, and he even delights in us. Please join your hearts with me in prayer and we'll conclude with the Lord's prayer together. Gracious and loving Father, we praise you that you are in control, that you care for our every need. We thank you for Jesus' death and resurrection that secured your people for yourself. And we're thankful that you've given us the gift of your spirit to encourage and challenge and shape us more and more into Jesus' likeness. We thank you for your graciousness towards us, for your faithfulness and goodness to us, for your provision through your people even to this place. We pray that you would free us to love the broken and the sick and the outcast and the hurting. Use us to expand your kingdom even during this time through the beauty and the freedom and the goodness and grace of your gospel. We pray for your church this morning and all of her diversity. We ask that she would be marked by grace and your holiness, by humility and unity. We're thankful that we are not the only church that's meeting together for worship. And we praise you for those gathering together throughout this world and throughout this community, whether digitally or over audio. We think especially of the crossing here in the Woodlands. Their pastor, Randy Harvey, we thank you for their partnership in the gospel. We ask that you would continue to use them to further your kingdom here on earth. Father, we know that you are good and that you are perfect and that you are not the author of sin and disease and suffering. And so we pray as your weary children longing for the day when perfect peace and health will replace injustice and sickness and death, when sickness and suffering and pain and death will be no more until that day. Father, free us from cynicism and fear and worry. Help us to plant flags of Jesus' resurrection wherever we find ourselves. Replace our frets and our fears and anxieties with faith and trust and hope. Come quickly, Lord Jesus. Until then, grant us wisdom to know what loving mercy, doing justice, and walking humbly with you looks like. In every place we find ourselves, we pray for the scores of families directly impacted by this virus. In our world in our community, and even in our church. Bring healing and strength where there is sickness. Be present with our world and government officials. Help them to make wise, careful, and God-honoring decisions. Affirm, encourage, strengthen, and support healthcare workers. Heal those who are sick. Grant us all your compassion and grace to look for creative ways to connect and to build community and relationship during this time. Help us to not become so consumed with our own situations and fears and brokenness that we forget to love and serve our neighbors and those desperate for love and care during this time. May your gospel impact and transform the hearts and lives and communities across this city and across your world. You are a God that brings life from death, so help us this Holy Week. Look for hope For the resurrection in every area of our lives. We ask that we would take hold of your vision for your kingdom and that we would labor to love our neighbors and to seek the good of those around us. We ask that you'd hear us now as we pray the prayer that your son taught us, saying, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name, thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts. As we forgive our debtors, and lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, and the power, and the glory forever. Amen. This morning, as we continue our series on Joseph, we come to chapter 41. Joseph has been enslaved and in prison for 13 years, and it's been two years since chapter 40 ended. Remember, Joseph is in prison waiting on God to keep his promises to him that he made in his dreams when he was 17 years old. He's waiting and suffering in the shadows and holding out for hope even though his circumstances are shouting at him, just give up. Everyone has forgotten about you. Your family has. Your, the cupbearer has forgotten about you, and so is God. But Joseph knows that God is present with him. And he remains faithful to God, and he relies upon him even in the shadows of his life. And this week we'll see that as quickly as things went poorly in Joseph's life 13 years ago, his life is going to have this dramatic turnaround in the blink of an eye. In God's providence and timing, Joseph is going to go from lowly foreign prisoner to second in command of all of Egypt in the matter of moments. So the question before us this morning, whether we are in the pit experiencing famine and the shadows of life and discouragement and loss and suffering, or whether we're riding high from the successes of life and we're experiencing great joy and excitement, where do we turn for life and wholeness? Are we looking to and relying and resting upon God in both the highs and lows of life? Let's turn to our text for this morning I'm going to read all of Genesis 41, all 57 verses. Uh, Remember, this is God's word given for his glory and for our good. So please follow along with me as we look at God's word together. When two full years had passed, Pharaoh had a dream. He was standing by the Nile when out of the river there came up seven cows, sleek and fat, and they grazed among the reeds. After them, seven other cows, ugly and gaunt, came up out of the Nile and stood beside those on the river bank. And the cows that were ugly and gaunt ate up the seven sleek, fat cows. Then Pharaoh woke up. He fell asleep again and had a second dream. Seven heads of grain, healthy and good, were growing on a single stalk. After them, seven other heads of grain sprouted thin, scorched by the east wind. The thin heads of grain swallowed up the seven healthy, full heads. Then Pharaoh woke up. It had been a dream. In the morning his mind was troubled, so he sent for all the magicians and wise men of Egypt. Pharaoh told them his dreams, but no one could interpret them for him. Then the chief cupbearer said to Pharaoh, Today I am reminded of my shortcomings. Pharaoh was once angry with his servants, and he imprisoned me in the chief baker in the house of the captain of the guard. Each of us had a dream the same night, and each dream had a meaning of its own. Now a young Hebrew was there with us, a servant of the captain of the guard. We told him our dreams, and he interpreted them for us, giving each man the interpretation of his dream, and things turned out exactly as he interpreted them to us. I was restored to my position, and the other man was impaled. So Pharaoh sent for Joseph. And he was quickly brought from the dungeon. When he had shaved and changed his clothes, he came before Pharaoh. Pharaoh said to Joseph, I had a dream and no one can interpret it. But I've heard it said of you that when you hear a dream, you can interpret it. I cannot do it, Joseph replied to Pharaoh. But God will give Pharaoh the answer he desires. Then Pharaoh said to Joseph, in my dream, I was standing on the bank of the Nile When out of the river there came up seven cows, fat and sleek, and they grazed among the reeds. After them seven other cows came up, scrawny and very ugly and lean. I had never seen such ugly cows in all the land of Egypt. The lean, ugly cows ate up the seven fat cows that came up first. But even after they ate them, no one could tell that they had done so. They looked just as ugly as before. Then I woke up. In my dream I saw seven heads of grain full and good growing on a single stalk after them seven other heads sprouted withered and thin and scorched by the east wind the thin heads of grain swallowed up the seven good heads i told this to the magicians but none of them could explain it to me then joseph said to pharaoh the dreams of pharaoh are one and the same god has revealed to pharaoh what he is about to do the seven good cows are seven years and the seven heads of grain are seven years it is one and the same dream the seven lean ugly cows that came up afterward are seven years and so are the seven worthless heads of grain scorched by the east wind they are seven years of famine it is just as i said to pharaoh god has shown pharaoh what he is about to do seven years of great abundance are coming throughout the land of egypt but seven years of famine will follow them Then all the abundance in Egypt will be forgotten, and the famine will ravage the land. The abundance in the land will not be remembered because the famine that follows it will be so severe. The reason the dream was given to Pharaoh in two forms is that the matter has been firmly decided by God, and God will do it soon. And now let Pharaoh look for a discerning and wise man and put him in charge of the land of Egypt. Can we find anyone like this man, one in whom is the Spirit of God? Then Pharaoh said to Joseph, Since God has made all this known to you, there is no one so discerning and wise as you. You shall be in charge of my palace, and all my people are to submit to your orders. Only with respect to the throne will I be greater than you. So Pharaoh said to Joseph, I hereby put you in charge of the whole land of Egypt. Then Pharaoh took his signet ring from his finger Put it on Joseph's finger. He dressed him in robes of fine linen and put a gold chain around his neck. He had him ride in a chariot as his second in command, and the people shouted before him, "Make way!" Thus he put him in charge of the whole land of Egypt. Then Pharaoh said to Joseph, "I am Pharaoh, but without your word, no one will lift hand or foot in all Egypt." Pharaoh gave Joseph the name zaphnath paneah And gave him Asenath, daughter of Potipharah, priest of On, to be his wife. And Joseph went throughout the land of Egypt. Joseph was 30 years old when he entered the service of Pharaoh, king of Egypt. And Joseph went out from Pharaoh's presence and traveled throughout Egypt. During the seven years of abundance, the land produced plentifully. Joseph collected all the food produced in the seven years of abundance in Egypt and stored it in the cities. In each city, he put the food grown in the field surrounding it. Joseph stored up huge quantities of grain like the sand of the sea. It was so much that he stopped keeping records because it was beyond measure. Before the years of famine came, two sons were born to Joseph by Asenath, daughter of Potipharah, priest of On. Joseph named his firstborn Manasseh and said, It is because God has made me forget all my trouble in all my father's household. The second son he named Ephraim and said, It is because God has made me fruitful in the land of my suffering. The seven years of abundance in Egypt came to an end, and the seven years of famine began just as Joseph had said. There was famine in all the other lands, but in the whole land of Egypt there was food. When all Egypt began to feel the famine, the people cried to Pharaoh for food. Then Pharaoh told all the Egyptians, Go to Joseph and do what he tells you. When the famine had spread over the whole country, Joseph opened all the storehouses and sold grain to the Egyptians, for the famine was severe throughout Egypt. And all the world came to Egypt to buy grain from Joseph because the famine was severe everywhere. Please pray with me. Father, we thank you for your love and your goodness. We thank you for your grace to us, for your kindness to us. We praise you for your word, for your providence, for the way that you worked in the life of your people and creating them and calling them to yourself and saving and rescuing them from famine for keeping your promises to them and to us father we thank you for jesus we pray that you would soften us even now that you would make us attentive to your word that in our homes on our couches in our beds in our offices you would shape us to be your people even now it's in christ's name that we pray amen well this past january My family got to go to Disney World with Megan's parents, and we had an awesome time. And some of our favorite parts of the trip were riding the different roller coasters that Disney World has to offer. Uh, We rode Slinky Dog and the Mine Train and Big Thunder Mountain and Everest. Our family loves roller coasters. They're exhilarating. The ups and the downs, the twists and the turns, the rising and the falling, they can make you feel like you're flying, and they can take your breath away. But life sometimes can feel like a roller coaster. Sometimes the bottom falls out and you didn't see it coming. Sometimes you know it's coming, but there's nothing you can do about it. And other times it feels like you're going up and up and up, and you're just enjoying the view because everything is going so well. Sometimes it's a smooth ride, and other times it's really bumpy, and you feel like you're being jostled about. If Joseph knew what roller coasters were, He might say that his life felt like one giant roller coaster where you keep falling and falling and falling and it doesn't feel like you can get any lower, but then all of a sudden the track shifts and he starts skyrocketing upward and it seems like he's never going to come down. How are we to respond to the roller coaster of life when things are going well and smooth, up and forward? What about when things are plummeting and shaking and maybe even going backwards? Where is God in all this? What do we learn about him? What do we learn about ourselves? How do we respond in the ups and downs of life? These are the questions we're going to be considering today. So first, what do we learn about God here in our passage? Well, it was said twice at the end of chapter 39 that God is with Joseph. But still, it doesn't feel like it. It doesn't look like it here at the beginning of chapter 41. It's been two more long years that Joseph has been waiting for the cupbearer to remember him. But if the cupbearer had remembered him earlier, before this specific moment, things would not have worked out in the way that God has designed and planned them to be. Maybe Joseph rises to power, but not in Pharaoh's circle. And then the famine comes, and he's not around to save Egypt and the surrounding countries and God's covenant family. So we're we're reminded yet again that God is present, and he is at work even when it doesn't look like it, Joseph is languishing in prison, and then we read that God sends Pharaoh a dream. And Pharaoh is so unsettled and troubled by these dreams that he calls all his specialists in to help him the magicians, the wise men, the dream experts. But none of them can interpret the dreams for him. And then lo and behold, happy accident, right? The cupbearer is there. And he remembers his shortcomings. It's better translated his offense or his sins even. He remembered that he had forgotten Joseph in prison. So he tells Pharaoh about this young Hebrew that interpreted dreams for him and the baker in prison. And so Pharaoh says, what are you doing? Go get him. Bring him here immediately. So God has been orchestrating every moment, every detail, every dream, every memory to bring Pharaoh and Joseph to this specific point in time. We don't understand why it's taken 13 years, why Joseph has had to suffer all these awful and painful and horrible experiences. But we're reminded yet again that God hasn't fallen asleep on the job. He hasn't forgotten about Joseph. He hasn't forgotten about his people, and he promises them. And he he hasn't forgotten about his promises to them, and he hasn't forgotten about you. God's plans and his purposes are his own, and his timing is his own. We may not understand what's going on around us. We may not understand what's going on in our own lives, in the lives of our friends and family, in the lives of our neighbors, and our country, and our world, but we can be certain of this, that God is present with us, that he is in control, that he is at work, and that he wastes no suffering and no circumstance. We might not get an answer. We might not ever get one, this side of glory, this side of Jesus returning to set all things right, but we can be certain and hold on to this with confidence that God is present with us and that he hasn't abandoned us and that he is at work. But we also learn that God is a God who is faithful to keep his promises. We learn a significant note about Joseph's two dreams in verse 32 when Joseph tells Pharaoh The reason the dream was given to Pharaoh in two forms is that the matter has been firmly decided by God. If you remember back with me, all of the dreams in this story have come in pairs. Joseph's two dreams, the cupbearer and the baker's two dreams, and now Pharaoh's two dreams. This means that Joseph was confident that because of his two dreams, God's plan was firmly decided for him. He just had to wait on God's timing for it to happen. We see that Joseph held on to that pair of dreams from God and that he trusted that God would fulfill those dreams in his life. Despite living in the pit of slavery and prison, God used those years of suffering to strengthen Joseph's faith, to strengthen and refine his character, to grow him into the man of faith and reliance upon God that we see here before us. So we see that when God promises to do something, we can trust him. Now we need to make a brief aside here to remind us we aren't Joseph. God hasn't revealed the future to us about our individual lives and circumstances. Joseph is in the pit, living in the shadows, and God brings him out of it and restores him and gives him great success and power and wealth and influence, and he uses him to save the whole world. The takeaway from this story isn't that God is going to bring you out of whatever awful and broken and painful circumstance or struggle you find yourself in and give you your moment to shine. That's not what God promises us, this side of of glory. But God has promised that when Jesus returns, he will bring to fruition what he started on Easter morning with Jesus' resurrection from the dead and the initial defeat of sin and evil and suffering and death. When Jesus returns, he will once and for all rid the world, all of its systems, including our hearts and our lives of death and mourning and crying and pain. And God will be present then too. In fact, he'll be so close to you that he himself will wipe away your tears. There'll be no more sin, no more suffering, no more sadness, no more waiting That day is coming, and we can bank on it, and we can trust that God will keep his promise to bring that day to us. But we might have to wait until then to experience the kind of triumph or relief or healing or success or reconciliation that we long for. And then we see God fulfilling his other promises that he made to Abraham, Joseph's great-grandfather, promises that he would bless him to make him a blessing, that he would bless those that bless him and that all peoples on earth will be blessed through him. That promise finds its ultimate fulfillment in Jesus coming to earth as Abraham's seed, but we see it coming to fruition here. Joseph is blessed by God to be a blessing to those around him. God blesses Egypt and Pharaoh as Pharaoh blesses and affirms Joseph, and God uses Joseph to bless the whole world those around them in Egypt and all the surrounding nations to save them and to provide food and bread for them in the famine that comes. So no matter where you find yourself on the roller coaster of life, you can trust that God is faithful to keep his promises, that he is present with you, that he promises to never leave you or forsake you and that nothing in this world can separate you from his love. Paul says it in Romans 8, I am convinced that neither life nor death neither angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future, nor any powers, neither height nor depth, nor anything else in all of creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. That assurance, coupled with the sure promise of Jesus returning to set all things to rights, is what gives us hope and confidence to live faithful lives of trusting in God, of loving and worshiping, of resting in and of serving him, of living sacrificial lives of service and blessing for those around you, to bring God's name glory ultimately. Our anchor to endure in the highs and lows of life is to remember that God is always with us. He is always present and at work, and he is faithful to keep his promises to his people. So what do we learn about ourselves in this passage? We learn that we are a desperate people. Like Pharaoh, we are desperate for truth. And like Joseph and those suffering from the famine, we are desperate for rescue. So first we see that we're desperate for truth. It's amazing here to see Pharaoh, king of Egypt, the most powerful man in the ancient Near East, deified by his people, worshipped as a god. It's amazing to see him shaken to his core. He's demonstrating fear and weakness. He's graciously sent this dream by God, and it leaves him deeply troubled. Pharaoh realizes that he's not as in control as he would like or as people think he really is. And so Pharaoh goes looking for answers. He exhausts all his options, and he finds nothing that satisfies him. Nothing pointed him to the truth. That is until God reveals the truth about his dreams to him through Joseph. It's not until God reveals his word to Pharaoh through Joseph that Pharaoh is comforted and satisfied. Even though the news isn't all good, there'll be seven years of booming agriculture. But we hear in verse 30 and 31, it's going to be followed by the worst seven-year famine that's going to be so severe that it will make everyone forget the seven years of abundance happened at all. What we see here through Pharaoh is that we are desperate for truth. We're desperate to make sense of life around us. And what we learn here is that trying to make sense of life outside of who God is and his word, it doesn't work. When we're anxious and we're uncertain and unsettled, where do we go for the answers? Where do you go for comfort or relief or satisfaction? During this time where our worlds have been disrupted, it's left many of us shaken and uncertain. Our normal rhythms and distractions even are gone. We're left asking ourselves, where am I turning for truth? Where am I turning for hope or for satisfaction or fulfillment? And if we're honest, the places that we turn apart from the hope of Jesus found in the gospel, whether it's alcohol or food or work or entertainment, or relationships, or social media, or pornography, whatever it is, they leave us maybe distracted for a moment, providing a brief escape, providing false happiness for a fleeting second that may be followed by despair and deeper shame and discouragement. What we see is all those places are just trying to numb the desperation for truth and life and hope and the lasting joy and satisfaction that we're searching for that ultimately is only found in Jesus and in Jesus alone. Until we come face-to-face with God's word and his truth, we're going to be desperately searching for answers, for truth, for hope and relief, but nothing besides God himself will satisfy us. Nothing besides God himself will leave us filled up. Everything else will fail us. Everything else will disappoint us. And will leave us wanting more. But we also see that that we're a people that are desperate for rescue. Look at Joseph. He's been sitting in prison for a long time at this point, falsely accused, desperately waiting for God to make good on his two dreams given to him 13 years ago. But all he's known since he's had those dreams is pain and suffering and heartache and trauma. He's desperate to be rescued, to be freed from his circumstances, to have God keep his promises. And then we see the people suffering at the end of chapter 41 in the famine. They're desperate for rescue too. They need bread that will bring life, that will bring wholeness, that will bring satisfaction. And so this morning, whether you are a follower of Jesus or not, this is where we all find ourselves, desperate for rescue. If you've yet... To approach Jesus in faith and repentance. If you've yet to come to him as your savior and Lord, then you are in need of being rescued from your sin and, and from yourself and rescued into a right relationship with God. The hard reality that the Bible communicates to all of us is that we are all desperate and needy, broken people who've rejected God and his love for us. The bad news is that we are sinners who have rejected God. We've all decided, I know what's best. I know what's true. We've taken God off the throne, and we've put ourselves there. We get to decide what is good, what is important, what is meaningful, what is true, what is life-giving, what is right, and what is wrong. We've exchanged the truth about God for a lie, and we look for life and satisfaction and meaning and happiness and pleasure and comfort and success, and relief in a whole host of places. We mentioned some earlier, work, wealth, success, our possessions, our appearance, our beauty, power, acclaim, sex, relationships, family, escape, drugs, alcohol, whatever it is. But the harsh reality is those things, although some are very good, if they become ultimate things for you, If those are the places you go for worthiness, for love, for significance, for meaning, for truth, for life and wholeness, those things have become idols. And those things will fail you. They will disappoint. They can be taken away. They can fade. Searching for life and love and significance in those things and putting ultimate meaning and putting your identity in anything apart from Jesus, it will leave you empty. It will leave you grasping for more. You'll find you can never get enough. You always need more. And that sounds like bad news, and it is, but it's really good news, too. If you don't know that you're sick, you'll never go to see a doctor and be made well. If you don't know that you're lost, you'll never let yourself be rescued. And it's the same with the good news of the gospel. If you don't know that you're broken, and sinful you don't know that you need a savior but the good news of the gospel is that jesus came and by his perfect life and obedience to god and through his sacrificial death on the cross he took the punishment for all of our sin he paid the penalty that we all deserved so now by coming to jesus in faith and in repentance you can be forgiven You can be loved and made new and brought into a right relationship with God. You can be brought into his family as one of his dearly loved and cherished children. All of this is by his grace. It's a free gift given to you through Jesus, not because of anything you can do, not because of anything you have or will do, not because you earned it, but because Jesus chose to die for you. And he casts his love and his favor upon you. It's only when you come to Jesus that you'll find joy in life and significance and hope and satisfaction and a love that is lasting, that will not fade, that will not fail you, that doesn't trick you, that doesn't shame you or manipulate you. It's only in Jesus where you're loved and accepted, not based on your goodness or your badness not based on your performance or your success or your failures, but solely you are loved because of God's goodness and grace demonstrated to you through the life and death and resurrection of Jesus. If you're a believer this morning, you know that rescue. But the reality is, is each and every one of us, no matter who we are or where we are, we are all weary from the effects of the fall on our lives. From the disappointments and the struggles, from the sicknesses and the weaknesses and the failures and hurts and discouragements, from the brokenness and the wounds and the pain and the suffering and the scars we've experienced. We've hurt those around us and we have been hurt by those around us. We are all desperate for the ultimate rescue that we mentioned earlier that will come when Jesus returns and sets the whole cosmos to rights when he will undo all that is sad and broken and wrong and will rid the world once and for all of pain and suffering and sickness and sadness and sin and death we're all desperate for resurrection for renewal for jesus's return and his ultimate rescue but until that day we're called to wait And so how do we wait and live in the ups and downs of life? How do we wait and live when things are going well? When we're rising to power and acclaim and success like Joseph here? And how do we wait and live when famine comes? When we're stuck in our homes for months on end? When relationships are strained and torn? When our jobs and our financial security are threads that are being pulled apart? When things are going well, which is hard to imagine right now, but when you're on the upturn when it seems like things are firing on all cylinders like it like it seems for Joseph here i mean look at him he's he's elevated he's rescued from prison he's given power and authority to rule and to reign the most important person in the world is recognizing and affirming his talents and gifts and is rewarding him with great generosity with new clothes with new status with a new ring with a new chain with a new name a new wife and the whole world is bowing before him. How might you react? Well, how does, how does Joseph react here? How might you be tempted to react to Pharaoh when he says, I heard when you hear a dream, you can interpret it. You can imagine a scenario, I think if you we're honest, where you might puff up your chest, where you say, you're right, Pharaoh, I'm pretty gifted. I'm pretty great. I did those things. You're right. Now listen to this. But what does Joseph do? Look at verse 16. He says, I cannot do it. Not very encouraging to Pharaoh, is it, at this point? But then Joseph continues, I cannot do it. But God will give Pharaoh the answer he desires. Meaning God will give an answer that will bring you peace, Pharaoh, that is about your well-being. Joseph doesn't lay claim to his gifts He doesn't lay claim to his successes. He doesn't boast in himself and take the credit. He immediately points back to God. I cannot do this, but God can and he will. And he reveals his trust and reliance upon God when he says in verses 25 and 28, God has revealed to Pharaoh what he is about to do. And in verse 32, the business of the seven years of plenty and the seven years of famine, they've been decided by God. He's the one in control and he's going to do it. So when things are going well, when you're at the top of the roller coaster, as it were, remember who put you there. Remember who's in control. Remember it's all of God's grace. And as quickly as success and acclaim comes, they can leave just as quickly. Famine might come. And when famine comes, when loss and discouragement and hopelessness and defeat are banging on the door, what do we do? We, like the people in the story, need to go to the place that will bring us life. We need to go to the one who has the bread that will bring us life. In your desperation, don't look elsewhere. Don't look to your idols. Don't look for truth in life and bread apart from God. Go to the greater Joseph. Go to the Son of God, the Lamb of God that takes away the sins of the world, the true bread of life. Go to Him for true food. Go to Him and get the bread of life that He gives. That bread will not spoil or fade or disappoint, but it will satisfy the hunger pains that you feel for love and acceptance and satisfaction and wholeness. The awesome thing about this bread is that we don't have to pay for it like the bread that Joseph provided. This bread has been paid for by Jesus himself. He has suffered and died on the cross, and he rose to power, and he sits not at the right hand of Pharaoh, but at the right hand of God the Father Almighty in his resurrection and ascension, and he reigns over every square inch of creation right now and forever, and this one offers you his bread. He offers you himself. This Jesus can put an end to the famine of your life and give you the one thing that you long for, the one thing that you've been searching for, the thing that you are actually hungry for. This Jesus freely gives you himself. And in his love and favor and forgiveness and mercy, he invites you to come to him and rest in him. Isaiah 55, 1-3 says this, come. All you who are thirsty, come to the waters, and you who have no money, come and buy and eat. Come buy wine and milk without money and without cost. Why spend money on what is not bread and your labor on what does not satisfy? Listen, listen to me and eat what is good, and you will delight in the richest affair. Give ear and come to me, listen that you may live in the ups and downs of life. Come. Come and feast on the only bread that will satisfy you and bring you life and wholeness and rest. Come feast on Jesus this holy week. He's come to seek and to save the lost, and he accomplishes this on Good Friday, and he begins his ultimate endeavor of making all things new on Easter Sunday. Come and see if he's good. See if he's present. See if he keeps his promises. See if he really can rescue you. Grab a hold of his bread that he gives you. Feast on him in your desperation and see that he leads to life. Please pray with me. Father, we thank you for your goodness and your faithfulness to us. We thank you for your kindness to us and your pursuit of us we thank you that you are present and with us that you keep your promises that you are faithful to your word and to your people that you do not give up on us even though we give up on you all the time we thank you for sending Jesus we thank you for his life and his death and his resurrection for his ascension for the fact that he is in charge over all of creation even now Father soften us Help us to give ourselves over to you. Help us to look to you, to love you, to trust in you, to rest in you, and to turn to you, and to give you away to those around us. To offer the bread of life that we have tasted and seen to a world desperate for rescue. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. Now receive the Lord's benediction. May our Lord, whose arms were spread on the cross to embrace the whole world, help us this week to take up the cross and follow him. Now let us go forth to serve this community and the world as those who love our Lord Jesus Christ. Thanks be to God.